With its many fruit and vegetable farms, New Jersey has always been known as a garden state. Young farmer Mike Beneducci loves growing wine grapes on his farm's deep soils in central New Jersey, and he's grown a reputation as a top-quality winemaker. Welcome to the Young Farmer Podcast. I'm Chris Torres, your host. In today's episode, Mike Beneducci talks about his journey becoming a vineyard owner and winemaker. He is part owner of Beneducci Vineyards in Pittstown, which has been in operation for 10 years and has become well-known for its award-winning wines. Beneducci was recently named the 2022 Outstanding Young Farmer by the New Jersey State Board of Agriculture, and I talked to him about what it takes to produce great quality wines, the importance of continuing his family's farming tradition, and how the deep soils of his farm help create a unique product. Mike Beneducci Jr., welcome to the Young Farmer Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Mike is the 2022 Outstanding Young Farmer recipient. Uh, by the New Jersey State Board of Agriculture. Um, How do you feel about winning your award? (laughs) Certainly humbling, uh, you know, not not something we had expected at all. Um, I I felt even a little guilty, you know, standing up there and getting the award because I think anybody that works on a farm knows it's always a group of people that, you know, lead to the success of of any uh, farming operation. So really kind of accepted that on behalf of my whole team here. And uh, I think, if anything, we're, we're mainly excited that it gave us a little bit of a platform to talk about the New Jersey wine industry and how that's a growing sector of, of ag in the state. Um, you know, I think especially with the sort of fragmentation of the larger tracts of farmland that's going on in the state, it's getting harder and harder to create viable businesses on, on smaller pieces of land and um, specialty crops like you know, organic veggies and fermented farm beverages like what we're doing are, are sort of a few of the creative ways that people are uh, able to keep these pieces of farmland, you know, in farming. And so it's, uh, it, was, it was nice to be able to talk about that a bit at the state convention and, uh, and the, national, the national convention as well, which we went to down in Hilton Head earlier, earlier in the month. Yeah, and that's why I'm excited to really talk to you because uh, not only are you um, not because not just because you received the award, but because you actually come from an area of agriculture that uh, you know is is uh, I love to cover when I get to cover it, but I don't get to cover it as much as I as I want to, <laughs> and that yeah, is um, wineries and and vineyards. Um, so uh, so excited to have you, and uh, and I guess you know, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Tell the listeners, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm 33. I uh, grew up working in my family's garden center, which is great. Some greenhouses in Gillette, New Jersey, uh, where both of my siblings still still work and run and manage. That's a way larger big business than our winery. Um, so it takes the two of them to kind of tame that beast. Um, and then I work on the Pittstown farm, which is in Huntington County, and we we actually originally bought this farm to expand our garden center. We needed some more room for production greenhouses. Um, so my dad bought this back in 2000. Uh, it's a 50, it was a 50 acre farm since expanded it a bit, but it was uh, 50 acres. They put up a couple acres of greenhouses here to grow ornamental crops for the garden center. And, you know, meanwhile, we had the whole rest of this 50 acre parcel that we really weren't growing anything on. And so we started to research what other crops we could grow here and when grapes came up as a, a you know 
suitable crop for this area, we kind of got really excited because we're home winemakers. You know, we grew up since I was two or three. We've been making a couple barrels a year in the basement just for personal consumption and uh, kind of came, came to us through our Italian heritage. And so we said, well, why don't we try growing our own grapes? And nobody in my family knew how to do that. It's a very sort of a specialty crop um, in terms of managing it and some technical aspects of growing it. So I sort of raised my hand and decided, you know, I would go learn how to do that. Ended up up at uh, Cornell University up in the Finger Lakes and studied viticulture and enology, which is grape growing and winemaking. And Cornell really had sort of an East Coast or cool climate focused program. I think previous to, you know, them starting that program, a lot of people had to go into UC Davis in California, which is, you know, has a great program out there. Um, so they learned how to grow grapes and make wine in California, and then they were bringing that knowledge back to the East Coast, and it just didn't always translate to the types of issues we have here climactically or, you know, insect pests, fungal diseases, all that stuff is just different from coast to coast. So Cornell's program was really sort of more relevant to what we were doing here. Um, so I think that gave me sort of a good foundation of knowledge and obviously been been learning every day since. So. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and I saw that you actually gained some working experience at a couple of vineyards up there in the Finger Lakes, which, you know, of course, everybody knows a lot. Many people know is a, is a world renowned for the for the quality of wines. Yeah, I mean, we I, I did work um, as an intern at a vineyard up there, you know, get, getting some knowledge with pruning and canopy management and all that kind of stuff. Cornell also had its own uh, like student run vineyard and actually a student run winery. So the program was was really pretty hands on. Um, enough so that I, you know, coming out of it as a, whatever I was, 21-year-old, 22-year-old, I felt confident enough to sort of jump into the role of, you know, head grower and head winemaker here. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, made some mistakes along the way and learned from them. But it was a really good, good program in that it, um, it wasn't just sort of book learning. It was really hands-on stuff where, you, you know, you, you learned how to take apart a pump and uh, press and, you know, you're out there planting, pruning, and doing all the kind of stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. definitely prop, props to them for designing something that, you know, gave me the skills needed to, to succeed off the bat. And I know that, that program, I was a member of the first graduating class from that program. I think it was like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 of us in the class. I know that it's expanded quite a bit now, mm-hmm. um, especially with the, the whole East Coast wine movement really expanding rapidly in the last decade. Uh, there's just more and more demand for, for educated grape growers and winemakers. You graduated in 2010 from, from Cornell University. You know, so, so did you come, so was it, was it right away, you know, that, that you came back to the farm and you started the transition into, into uh, turning some of the acres into, into a vineyard? Yeah, it was actually during college. So we, I, I planted the first um, three acres of vineyards in 2009, and then I was kind of like coming back and forth on weekends um, to take care of them my junior year, you know, and then I was home for the summer taking care of everything. And then my senior year after I graduated, I spent the first year renovating a pole barn that we had on the property, which was really just for like tractor and equipment storage. Um, we renovated that whole barn and, you know, had to insulate and pour new concrete floors with drains and get all the winemaking equipment set up and everything. And then we had our first harvest in 2011 and uh, opened up the doors to the winery tasting room in 2012, summer of 2012. 
so yeah, I pretty much jumped right into it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, and and so you obviously you grow some some reds and some whites. I mean, how how do, how do you break down that acreage? Uh, it's roughly fifty fifty now. Uh, we do maybe it's a little heavy on reds, but we use some of the reds for rosé production. So I would say it's you know roughly forty percent red wine, forty percent white wine, and twenty percent rosé. We we recently we kind of when we started we were planting you know two or three acres a year. It's very labor and capital intensive to plant grapes because you know it's a high cost outlay in the beginning and you don't get a crop for the first three years at least and then you know sometimes like for our red wines it's another three years to make and age the wines until they're a sellable product Mm -hmm. so you're looking at you know a five six year lag time between when you plant the grapes until you have any viable product from them so we've kind of taking the strategy of, of planting in small chunks, you know, a couple acres at a year so that we can kind of spread that cost out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started with three, a little over three acres back in 2009. Uh, we're now up to 22 acres planted and kind of had planted all of the sort of premium spot, premium hillsides on our original 50 acre farm um, where we are. We're up in the hills in Hunter County. So we have really nice slopes here, which helps with air drainage, water drainage, and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of maxed out all of our planting on this farm. And uh, two years ago, we we're lucky enough to purchase the adjacent parcel, which is another 26-acre farm, um, really had been under row crops for the last couple of decades, you know, corn and soybeans. And it actually is better land than anything we have currently. The whole, the whole piece is like a south-facing slope. Um, beautiful drainage, really nice sun exposure. So we're excited to be developing that over the next 10 years or so. We're actually starting with uh, three more acres of Riesling this spring. So we'll be getting those vines in the ground in about a month or so. So we're excited to kind of break ground on that project. That's great. What's really fascinating about, about you know, how you got started was the fact that, you know, like you said, I mean, you were in college when you actually started the, the, the vineyard, where you actually started planting. And, I know everybody's uh, always like, "Where, where was that option on career day?" You know, exactly, exactly. Um, how were you able to do that? <laughs> because, like yeah, you say, well, because, just, like you say, it is very capital intensive. I mean, how were you able to to manage all it that? Is, certainly, I mean, and, and would never have been able to do it without the support of my parents and the business that that they ran, and you know, were able to sort of get us a jump start. You know, we were lucky that you know most wineries that are starting have to purchase a piece of land they have to purchase tractors they have to purchase a barn you know we had all of those things already on site or the other business um so we definitely had a jump start there and you know i think it was just the kind of thing where we we i was in the right place at the right time we came up with the idea um to do the winery and you know i i just kind of fell into it and luckily really the more i learned about it the more i just went deeper down the rabbit hole and uh and have just become so passionate about growing grapes and making wine specifically here in new jersey um since i've gotten into this that it's just the kind of thing where your passion kind of grows exponentially i think Mm -hmm. um but yeah certain certainly very lucky to be in my position i mean even a lot of most winemakers you know go through their whole career and never have full creative control over the wines that they're making because they're generally making, you know, something to fit a market niche or, you know, whatever the winery owners want to make. And, uh, I'm really lucky that I kind of get to pull all those strings 
myself and for better or worse it's you know so far it's worked out you live in an area of Hunterdon County. I'm very familiar with that area in New Jersey. You know, it, it is it is an affluent area. Um, so, um, you know, it would seem to me it would seem to me that that um, you know you already have a market that's set, but a lo- or a market that that would be able to that you would be able to to cultivate you know to cultivate customers. But how competitive is it up there? How competitive is the the winery market in your in your area of New Jersey? Yeah, I mean, Hunterdon County is a is an amazing place to I think be in any type of farming, agritourism, any of those type of businesses are very well supported by this community. You know, people generally move out here or live here because they appreciate things like farm markets and you know nature and all of the things that this county has to offer. Um, and so, I wouldn't say that we look at it as competition at all, we actually want more wineries to move into the area to sort of build a critical mass and develop this area as a wine region. You know, you look at a place like Napa and, you know, you can drive down a a couple mile stretch of their highways and see a couple hundred wineries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all that does is create a destination for people to go and visit multiple wineries. So we really work very closely together with all the other wineries in the area uh established and upstart you know we encourage um new wineries to come into the area we share data we share our knowledge and our experiences and our equipment and everything we possibly can because you know if the guy down the road is making good wine that that helps my business um so that that's kind of a really weird unique thing about this industry that i also love actually this afternoon i'm going to taste uh our our wines with three other winery owners and winemakers and uh we're just getting together and you know we taste some wine together we share some feedback and i think that's kind of a unique thing about this industry and one that makes it really fun to be a part of especially as there's sort of a you know right rising tide lifts all ships mentality across the board that's a nice perk of the job isn't it yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> um is there is there something in particular um in the area that you that you grow these grapes is there something in particular that makes this area that makes that area of new jersey suitable for uh, for grapes for wine grapes yeah definitely so grapes typically like to be planted on slopes um i mentioned before air drainage and water drainage are are two of the biggest thing they don't like wet feet so when you have a rain and you're on flat ground unless you have really well-drained sandy soils like they have in, in some parts of South Jersey, you know, that rain can get waterlogged and sort of choke out the vines. Um, and the second thing is air drainage where, uh, you know, that hot air rises, cold air sinks. And when our buds emerge in the spring, they're really cold tender, very sensitive to spring frosts. And so by planting them on slopes, it actually helps move that frost or that cold air down the slopes to the lower areas of the property and the stuff planted on the hillside is, is hopefully protected from frost damage. Uh, we also have some really deep soils here. So most of the time you dig a soil pit, you know, you're going to hit either the water table or bedrock or something within, you know, the first five feet. Um, we've dug down 15 feet and have not hit any of that. And so we just have really deep, well-drained soils here. And I think the way that we're farming grapes, which is without irrigation, we're sort of forcing those roots to grow down, for searching for water. And so they get these really deep-rooted, healthy, drought-resistant vines. 
uh, and they're also sort of pulling minerals from all those different soil horizons, the soil levels. And, you know, that, that ultimately makes a more complex grape, which makes a more complex wine. So we have a lot, a lot going for us in this area, you know, certainly have our own challenges. It's a high humidity area. So there's a lot of fungal pressure. There's always a, a new bug threatening to, you know, collapse the industry right now. It's a spotted lantern fly, which we've been dealing with for the last couple of years. But um, I think most farmers are used to kind of rolling with the punches with those kind of things. And, um, and that's what we're doing here. And so, yeah, I think that New Jersey in general um, has a really great potential for world-class wines. And uh, where we are in Hunterdon, you know, we certainly feel like we have a pretty special spot here as well. You almost have to be crazy to grow wine grapes in this region for the simple fact that, you know, California, um, I'll just put California out there because, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, the climate out there is very conducive to, to, to wine grape growing and in particular, you know, certain wine grapes. Um, and, and the only reason I say, you know, you almost have to be nuts is because of the fact that you do have to deal with a lot of diseases out here that maybe somebody in California doesn't have to deal with. You have to deal with a lot of insects out here that maybe somebody in another area won't have to deal with. Um, you know, it really is, it, it really seems to me from a lot of the, the winemakers that I've known over the years, vineyard owners, that you really, I mean, all farmers love what they do, but you really have to love to do, to do this, um, to really, um, you know, invest the time and the energy to make it work don't you yeah but i think that's true with all farming i mean farming in general you leave so much of your success is just out of your hands i mean you're in general just dependent on climate which obviously you have no effect over um i think that you know everybody has in their mind that california is this perfect area to grow grapes and they certainly have a lot going for them but they also have their own challenges you know there are Pierce's disease is a viral disease that's coming up there that doesn't live in our climate because it's too cold for the, the bug that vectors the disease to live here. Uh, water issues in California are becoming tremendously detrimental to wineries. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of the wineries out there, especially in places like the Central Valley, which is exceptionally warm and dry and produces the bulk of wine in California, you know, they're fighting over water rights and that's gotten, you know, exponentially worse over the last couple of decades. And I really foresee that as becoming an issue in some of these drier climates um, that, that they're going to have to sort of reckon with that, that at some point. And we certainly don't have that problem on the East Coast. So every, every place, whether you're in Europe or South America or Australia or wherever in the world that you grow wine, you have your own sort of set of challenges. Um, and so far, I think the growers on the East Coast and in New Jersey particularly have done a really good job overcoming those challenges, adapting to them. You know, um, in general, we are much closer in climate and rainfall to most of the world-class wine-growing regions in Europe than a place like California is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, everybody's kind of, I think is a East Coast really didn't, didn't, take off on the right foot. Actually, there was a growing industry here before Prohibition, and Prohibition sort of put the kibosh on that, and it never really recuperated from that until the last couple of decades. Um, but we really have the potential here to grow. I mean, you see that in places like the Finger Lakes, right? I mean, they're, they're colder than we are, and they're making world-class wines that are now being shipped internationally. And, you know, Virginia has a growing wine scene, and... Um, Long Island, and so there, there are regions that are popping up all over the East Coast that are really showing that 
you know, the potential for quality here is, is certainly on par with what can be done in California and, and really in, in Europe and the rest of the world. Well, you know what? People have taken notice of the quality of your vineyard. You were named one of the top 25 vineyards in the U.S. by Travel and Leisure magazine. And you were also named, I believe, the number four winery in the U.S. by Tasting Table. Um, what is your secret sauce? What makes your, <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you think makes your vineyard and, and winery stand out? You know, I wish I knew that I'd be I'd be putting more sauce on everything, but I I don't know. I think you know, certainly we have a sort of a philosophy of attention to detail here in all things um, that I think is part of what makes us successful. Um, you know, wh- whether it's the way we grow the grapes and sort of fine tune that year after year, or the way that we're constantly experimenting in the winery with with new techniques and new ways of, you know, sort of showcasing the fruit that comes in from our vineyard um, or the, the hospitality side of things where we're trying to just really make an exceptional customer experience where people can kind of come out, see the farm, you know, see where the grapes are grown, see where the wines are made, and then enjoy that wine on the same farm. So they get this sort of full circle experience here that I think helps them realize um you know, that wine is an agricultural product and a local agricultural product and one that's worth seeking out from producers that, you know, care what they're putting into the wines. I, you know, I, I think it's so funny that people will spend their, you know, Sunday morning going to the farmer's market and getting to know their local veggie farmer and picking out the perfect pepper or whatever it is. And then on the way home, they hit, you know, the, the liquor store and get this bottle of Malbec from Argentina. That's, you know, flown in from thousands of miles away and they're not even always connecting the fact that that is an agricultural product in the same way that the pepper is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're really doing a lot of not education, but sort of, you know, highlighting that concept here and showing, you know, dovetailing into the sort of farm to table movement, which has become so prevalent um, in the last 10 years or so, you know, that, people that care about the quality of, of food and beverages that they're consuming on a daily basis really should be seeking out places like ours and, and the neighboring wineries that are uh, doing everything they can to make an amazing product and a delicious product and something that they can be proud to show off to their their skeptical uh, friends or neighbors from California when they come visit. <laughs> you also do something interesting that I was reading about. Um, you do a group therapy on Saturday evenings. Tell me what that's all about. Yeah, group therapy is just our our name for like our our live music. So Saturday evenings, um, we do you know we bring in a, a little local band and a food truck. People are welcome to bring their own food. We set up tables outside on our lawn. We have a really nice sort of expansive lawn area with some bonfires, and uh, people come out. You know they they reserve a table. They do a wine tasting, or they just grab a bottle of wine and hang out and enjoy it. And uh, you know that's what I was saying was you know. Nothing, there's no more natural place to enjoy a bottle of wine than when you're sitting right next to the vineyard where it was grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been in a really amazing way for us to introduce our wines to people, getting them out to the farm. You know, it, it sets us apart from a liquor store where you're just one of a thousand bottles on a shelf and they're picking it most likely based on the label design. You know, when people come out here, they form a deeper connection to the place and the people that are serving them and the wines and I think they ultimately become sort of our uh, our evangelists, mm-hmm. and that you know we we haven't spent money on advertising since we opened, and that's been almost ten years, and uh, and we've been growing every year. In fact, one of our main problems was that we 
generally sell out of wine too fast. Uh, you know, it, we, we have to kind of stagger our releases of wines because we just, we move through what we can make. Sure. Um, and we're really dedicated to, you know, using all estate grown grapes at this point grown on our farm. So we're, we're limited in our production. It's not like a, a brewery where we can just order another truckload of hops and, and malt, you know, we, we have one harvest a year and much of that quantity and yield is dictated by nature. And so we sort of make what we make and when we're sold out, we're sold out. I love the fact that you actually call that group therapy though. Um, and you make it known that it's limited to just adults. So I, I kind of, I, it seems to me that you're targeting, uh, parents. <laughs> well, well, both <laughs> parents certainly, but friends, I mean, we get a lot of people that are out on date nights. We get, uh, a little bit of everything. And that's one of the things I love about it is that we get such a wide range of, uh, of age groups here, of ethnic diversity, of everybody. People come from all over for that, not just locals, predominantly locals, but you do get people coming in from New York and Pennsylvania. And it's just sort of this amazing mix of people that um, I love seeing them interact with each other and with our staff. Um, and so, yeah, group, group therapy, we, we, we always used to allow kids to that really in the last, actually, since the pandemic started, we switched to, um, really targeting that toward adults just because we feel like, like you said, sometimes mom and dad need a, a night out too. And, uh, and oftentimes when they were bringing their kids, they probably weren't watching them anyway. So <laughs> we, we, um, we made that adults only. And then on Sundays we do something called Sunday picnics, which is much more, you know, family oriented and, and kids are welcome and dogs and everybody's, you know, just kind of sitting out, um, enjoying hopefully some sunshine and a bottle of wine. And, uh, and it's fun to see kids here too, you know, out doing tractor tours and everything. And we love to expose them to agriculture at a younger age. So they develop an appreciation for that. Yeah. It's, it's really great to see the way that you're, that you're embracing the value add you know, the value add portion of the business and how you're able to, you know, um, stand out, you know, stand out from other, from other farm businesses in your area. Um, I think that's great. How about on your, how about on your operation? Are you feeling any effects from high input prices? You know, any, any unique struggles that, that, uh, you know, maybe you're seeing in the vineyard or winery business that, that maybe other farmers aren't seeing? Yeah. I mean, we certainly, uh, you know, share in that, we have to burden the increase of cost, right? If everything's going up, whatever, 7.9%, that's, that's pretty much across the board with, with fuel and with uh, salaries, you know, people's purchasing cost has gone down. And so you have to, you know, allow them to uh, sustain their way of life and, and improve their way of life. And so all, all of that stuff kind of hits your bottom line. Um, I think a couple of the things that most farmers use, like, synthetic fertilizers we're lucky enough to not have to use here this actually was a dairy farm before we bought it uh and so the soil is just naturally rich in organic matter and nitrogen and so we have not had to use any of those products um since we opened and you know i know that that nitrogen fertilizer has like tripled in the last year or something insane um there are certain things for us our biggest struggle has been wine bottles and this is kind of across the whole industry um have come up almost 50% in the last uh, year or two, which, you know, that's, that obviously just adds cost to your, to your bottom line. And, uh, and you've got to have that reflected in the price. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably like most farmers labor is, a, is a struggle for us. 
um, right now. You know, number one, just finding people that have the mindset and the mentality that want to come out and, and do the grueling farm work every day. Um, even finding them is hard. And number two, you know, being able to afford them is, is also getting harder and harder. So, uh, always challenges, but you know, we've been really lucky. Most of our staff has been with us for more than five years, our full-time staff. Um, and they're, you know, as dedicated to this as I am. And so they have the same sort of pride and passion of just doing things in a way that's not like they're not doing it and turning their back and walking away. They're appreciating that it's part of a, a larger goal and a larger vision that we have here for what we're doing. Um, and so I think, you know, that's certainly where a lot of our successes come from. Sure. Many people have this impression that, that the garden state is a highly regulatory state when it comes to agriculture. But I mean, do you, do you actually feel that in, 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 you know, in your vineyard and your winery? Oh yeah, absolutely. Jersey's a nightmare to do business <laughs> on so many different levels. I mean, I think the farming side of it actually is, is probably one of the better regulated areas. I mean, we, we have a lot of support from our County Ag Development Boards um, and certain things like the Right to Farm Act in New Jersey have really protected a lot of the activities that we do here that we need to do in order to be a sustainable farm on a small piece of land. Um, but, you know, I think with everybody, you have municipalities that uh, have their own sort of local politics rules, which are constantly evolving and changing. And um, I think the liquor laws and the, you know, the wine laws in New Jersey are really quite antiquated when you compare them to a place like New York or Virginia, uh, where they just have so many more options. And they're really, the governors and the, you know, the state governments of those two states in particular have really seen the benefits of a healthy and thriving wine industry and how that ripples out into the rest of the economy and creates jobs and draws tourists to the area and all of those things, you know, their wineries are really what they just, what they call keystone businesses, where if you can develop a successful wine region in an area, it can completely transform the whole economy of the area. Um, and so I think New Jersey is certainly behind our neighbors in a lot of those things. Um, but you know, we're, we're doing what we can to get in front of the right people on that as well. And, you know, make things easier for us, make things, uh, they, they should be rolling out the red carpet for any sector of the agricultural industry that can attract young people like myself and keep these farms in farming versus paving them into strip malls and whatever else is, you know, encroaching on the farmland in the state. You know, if you want to keep it the garden state, you got to have agriculture in it. And so uh, I think there's a lot more work to be done on that front. So you truly are a family-run business. I mean, with you being, um, you know, you're, you're what, the fourth generation. Um, and, of course, your, your, your father's still involved in, in each one of these businesses, your siblings. Um, really, truly a family-run business. And, and that must be very, very important to you to really, you know, still have your family involved and, and continue your family's legacy. Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky. Um that we all get along and for the most part and, um, and, you know, get to work with each other to some extent every day. But on the flip side of that also have our own spaces to sort of, um, you know, spread our wings a bit. Um, because I think that can be a real challenge in, in some places where, you know, you're constantly on top of each other and I mean, you know how it is with your family. You don't have this sort of, uh, 
same filters that you would with coworkers. And so I think that can be a real challenge. I know something might, you know, my father had challenges with, uh, with his father and, you know, so I think my parents have done a really good job sort of setting us up where we are able to take the reins and, you know, they're there for support. They're there to help us, you know, when it's crunch time, when it's harvest time, when it's busy season at the greenhouse or whatever it is. Um, but they're doing a really good job of sort of allowing us to take the reins and, take the businesses in the direction that you know we foresee is right for the future because it's we're growing up in a different world than than they did and uh you know probably have different views and perspectives on things and they've been very open-minded to all of that um and so i think all my siblings and i are extremely grateful for that but i also think it's helped our businesses be more progressive than uh a lot of you know neighboring businesses because we just we just have a younger sort of fresher view on what's going on in the world maybe. i always ask this of people i try to ask this of, of my guests you know what sort of advice would you give to to other younger people who are trying to get into this business who you know want to make it in agriculture you obviously are are a great example um because you've done so well um what advice would you give them uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think really it's just about getting experiences in a lot of different areas and, and sort of finding where you naturally gravitate to. Um, there are just so many different aspects of agriculture that, uh, you know, have positions that need to be filled. And I think it's important to get out and do the dirty work, you know, the farming work and see if that's what you love about it and are drawn to and, you know, love working outside and um, there's certainly plenty of room for those people, but there are also room for, you know, people that want to run a tasting room or people that want to do farm markets or, uh, you know, uh, administrative things. There's all different sectors of the business. And I think, um, there are things to be learned from all those different areas. And I think we learn a lot sort of about ourselves when we put ourselves in those positions and say, Hey, is this something that, you know, I'm fired up in the morning to, to get my boots on and get out and dig some holes or do I like doing, you know, budget projections and, uh, and seed ordering or whatever it is. Um, so I think really just exposing yourself to a lot of different businesses and, and areas within those businesses is a good way to get started. What's your favorite part of the business besides the wine tasting? Uh, I like being out in the vineyard. Um, I am just the kind of person that, does not like being in an office, especially on a day like today, as I'm sitting here talking to you in my office. Um, it's, you know, the sun calls to me for sure. And I, I love getting outside. And, uh, and as our business has grown, you know, I, I have to sort of prioritize certain things and, and maybe I've been spending a little less time out in the vineyard, but um, that's always what, what motivates me. And, you know, during the growing season, I definitely spend, you know, 80, 80% of my time um, out in the, in the vines, you know, with the crop and, and I think that that sort of automatically kind of connects me to the wine in a, in a unique way and in a different way than a lot of winemakers that are you know using purchased fruit um, either locally or, or importing fruit or whatever it is. I, I think I feel sort of an extra notch of, of pride in what we're doing because it's uh, you know, it's had our hands all over it from the beginning. So mm-hmm. it's a, that's, that's definitely what motivates me. Sure. When did the vines start greening up, and when do things really start rolling here in the in the coming growing season? Yeah, we usually see bud break in about another month or so, mid-April, third week of April. Um, really depends on the weather. We're actually hoping for some cooler weather over the next couple of weeks so that they don't 
bud out too early because then uh, they are susceptible to, to spring frosts even being planted on the hillside. Um, but yeah, usually mid April, um, somewhere around there. And then, uh, things just kind of take off and running from there. They, they can grow almost an inch a day, um, in the spring and summer. So it's, it's sort of constant TLC out there and managing the canopy and, uh, hedging things back and, and, uh, removing leaves and doing everything we do to grow really high quality fruit here. It's one of my favorite places to be a vineyard when it's all greened up and the grapes are out there and everything is just, you know, lush. Truly yeah, is one of my favorite places to be. It's a, it's a great place to be. Can't argue with you there. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike, thanks a lot for joining me on the Young Farmer Podcast. Good luck to you and have a great growing season. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Thanks to Mike Meneducci for joining me this week. We have links to his vineyard's website and Facebook page. So check out what he has to offer and learn more about his family farm and about his journey into growing a vineyard and wine. Thanks for joining us on the Young Farmer Podcast, and we'll see you next time.